0: Hello and welcome to episode four of Let the Meat Cake. This will be the second of two episodes covering the region of Kurdistan that is home to the Kurdish people who are considered the largest group without a state. In part two, we speak to an American born Kurd about the foreign opinions of the Kurds, the Kurdish identity as a whole, and the American life as a Kurd among other subjects. As for us, we are fifth gen an information warfare cooperative that aims to shed light on things those in power want to be kept in the dark. We want to give a voice to the voiceless and give people the information that they need to thrive in today's fast-paced society. I am Jack, my co-host is John, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: We have a weapon more powerful than the British Empire, and that weapon is our refusal to bow to any order but our own, any institution but our own. My name is Lava, um, I'm originally from uh, the U.S., from California, but both my parents are from uh, Bashur, the southern part of Kurdistan, northern Iraq. Um, both my parents are Kirkuky, but my mom was uh, born and raised in Hawler and my dad was born and raised in Kirkuk. But my father immigrated a lot um, throughout his life. He was... Uh, refugee in different places, whereas my mom, not so much. She kind of immigrated there uh, when... She kind of immigrated when I was born, and then I moved back and forth um, from Kurdistan to the U.S.
2: What made your father a refugee?
1: My father's a bit older, so it was, like, two things. One was... Obviously, the genocide. Another thing was at the time the mandatory military instatement. So at the time, um, Sweden was one of the first countries to accept Kurdish refugees. So allowed my dad to be to move to Sweden when a lot of Kurds didn't get that opportunity.
2: Did you feel disconnected at any point from your Kurdish identity?
1: Personally, uh, me not so much. I know my siblings felt a huge disconnect towards their culture. Um, But not so much, which is funny because growing up, my uh, dad was terrified uh, of us having accents. So he really wanted us to be immersed in, like, American culture. And at the time, um, I was, I was, I live in SoCal. I live in San Diego. The time, there wasn't a huge uh, population outside of, you know, white Americans. It wasn't until after you know, the war in Iraq, and Saddam Hussein's death, that a bunch of Iraqi refugees came over. Um, but, I don't know, I never really felt that. I've always felt more Kurdish than American. How old
2: are you? But like, are you the oldest? Is there a middle sibling, a younger sibling?
1: So, yeah. Um for my mom, I'm the oldest, but my dad had a previous marriage, so I'm the second youngest mm-hmm. for my father. My older siblings um are half arab and their mom was m- their mom came here when she was a, or came to the states when she was about eleven so she's more Americanized but my little sister there's only a there's a two year age gap a year and a half two year age gap between me and her um and I think it was easier for her to immerse herself, whereas I was born right before nine eleven, and right when it happened, I kind of felt I kind of got that like end of the stick where Americans really like to push to you: <laughs> you're not American, you look very different from us. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, pushed me more towards my so Kurdish
2: the, side. That's the concept of whiteness in America. Mm-hmm. Literally a racy question here. Does your sister feel that she's more white than Kurdish?
1: I wouldn't necessarily think that she, I wouldn't necessarily say that she thinks she's white um, and her perspective, all of my siblings' perspectives change, except for my brother's, and the older they got, the more they uh, came into terms with like how they look and what they identify with racially. If we're, we're thinking about like just your physical appearance. We were never very white, so I don't think my sister ever thought she was white. I think she always said she was brown, but connected more with an American mm.
2: culture. the The, the, the so whole, whole concept of whiteness is... Needs to be like destroyed and buried anyway. Oh, because
1: yeah, racially, <laughs> Middle Eastern people are white, right? Yeah, uh, no,
2: it's all North Africans. So, so it's like I'm Irish. I talk about this every episode. Our intro is literally <laughs> Easter Rising. We weren't white when we came. We came over, and you ever you ever see like uh, you'll see it with New York and Boston, right? And you'll see these cops, and they're like, "I'm sixth generation cop." Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. And that's because they took they took the Irish and the Irish were a buffer from the black neighborhoods to the Italian neighborhoods. So then the Italian neighborhoods were a buffer Mm. from the Irish neighborhoods to the white neighborhoods. You'll hear a lot of people who think just because they're Irish, they're allowed to be racist, especially in America. But what they don't understand is that because of how the system worked, we ended up being more oppressive in the north region in New York and Boston. Than anyone else because it's like that's who they made police these neighborhoods and things like that
0: New Zealand is a very interesting example of this because the maoris fucked up the British right they f- they mm. they scared the ever-living shit out of them and New Zealand has integrated their um, their their white culture with their native culture and their language is actually a mixture of both native and English like there, there are certain words that they use in New Zealand English that are actually Maori words which is super super interesting but, but it's because they've accepted what they did in history and they've moved they've moved forward understanding that history mm. yeah, that's, and that's, the, that's, that's getting
2: past the 10th stage of genocide which is denial
0: yes yes and that's um that I think is probably the best example that I can give to someone about this sort of discussion of race and what I think would help America heal more is when, um, white Americans admit what they've did, that they what yeah. white colonizers yeah. from England have done in history and been like, yeah, it was fucked up. Like, Australia should do this immediately. Like, we've, mm-hmm. the government has apologized, right? The government doesn't give a fuck. They just did that to save face. Mm-hmm. Like, the- the British government and the Australian government literally kidnapped Aboriginal childrens and placed them with white families And in they- that's cities something they did in every- And claimed that yeah. they were civilizing yeah. them Like, the well, whole thing is fucked
2: It's- they do it with Uyghurs right now, and what yeah. about- do they do that with Kurds? Have you heard about stuff like that? Uh, so,
1: yeah If- you've ever heard of, like, the Dosim genocide or massacre in Turkey Um, like after they would slaughter the families, they would make sure to keep the kids and give them to Turkish soldiers to raise Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. with, um, those families.
2: So, like, for, for Americas, it was always like the, the, if there was someone who was a really, really good fighter, and was actually Mm -hmm. like, and it took, it took a lot to put that person down, you know, in the genocide. Their kids would be the first ones that they get Mm -hmm. out of that culture and, and erase their identity. But yeah, that is a big thing is getting past the denial. So America is um, America has t- it's both rated as a stage six polarization on uh, Genocide Watch and then stage 10 for Genocide Watch. But the stage 10 is specifically about the native um, genocide because we a lot of people have accepted what have happened to Black mm-hmm. America. It hasn't been politically and there's pockets of people who still have a long way to go. Like, But when it comes to the native americans technically the genocide only ended in the 90s when child separation stopped and now the supreme court just overturned these things where it's going to affect every reservation in the country they're literally destroying native reservations in the supreme court right now so if the genocide is is just going to start you know going back down to extermination you can't even get over the denial of that
1: You know, that was an interesting topic, actually. Uh, One of the last classes I took before my graduation was the politics of genocide and the opportunity to have a teacher who was a big journalist in this uh, topic. And one of the last uh, things we talked about was Native Americans. Um, The whole class was very um, sensitive about defining what exactly was a genocide. And he was very weary of labeling what happened to the Native Americans as a genocide uh more as like more so like a prolonged
2: well what i will say is that technically there was a certain point where we started recognizing and preventing genocide and there was mm-hmm. a point before that so there's there's that for starters and i also want to say that i'm not minimizing anyone's struggles i'm saying that there was a genocide against you know africans very clearly yeah, not yeah, by just americans sure. everyone but it's just that there's a lot of uh indigenous genocide that's going on and goes on every day and it's being yeah. silenced throughout the world
1: yeah of course that's why uh, i find it interesting what people define or not define as genocide or um in their eyes what they see um as genocide well, because a lot of people it differently yeah. Uh, right, I mean... right
0: yeah you mentioned uh, the nine eleven attacks. So I I was curious when, um, in the the years following that, did you see a solidification in your identity, or did you see a feeling of of wanting to get away from it?
1: I think I felt more, an even more attachment to my identity, because right after nine eleven, um, there wasn't a huge influx of migrants yet, so. Personal experience, I was, um, you know, hate-crimed and, and dealt with a lot of racism. And I think it pushed me more towards my identity. Um, pushed me more towards not wanting to uh, confide in whatever, uh, you know, white Americans thought I should mm. act or be like. To, to so conform. Think, yeah, to conform to. Yeah. Exactly. I
2: just wanted to bring up, according to the UN, what the definition of genocide is, all right? And this is very specifically are the words in whole or in part. In the present convention of genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such, killing members, causing serious bodily or mentally harms, deliberately inflicting conditions, as in starvation, for example, or, physical anything that brings about physical destruction in whole or in part. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, forcibly transferring children from one group to another. So, pretty Was clear what genocide a- is.
0: Anything about language?
2: No, no. Well, that's, that producing. would be- that would be section- that would be section here. Section C. Deliberately inflicting on a group conditions of life calculated to bring mm-hmm. about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Yeah. Language is more of a soft genocide thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's like the beginning if someone's story, being
2: tased yeah. or something, I don't know what's going on over there. I know, sorry.
1: Language doesn't count, which is crazy, because I it, feel like that's one of the easiest ways to-
2: destroy an identity. And, uh,
1: Identity is language, and Mm -hmm. obviously the Kurdish population. It's been. I mean, I know we talk, uh, or I know you guys briefly talked about um, Kurds in Iran and Turkey who are unable to speak Kurdish. But even in Kirkuk, uh, it was illegal. Um, My father didn't, wasn't allowed to grow up speaking Kurdish. He was forced to speak uh, Turkmen and Arabic. So, and I mean, they weren't allowed to have Kurdish names. So, I mean, that also goes to show it's, it's not even in regions you think it would happen.
2: So what Jack was touching on, um, I wanted to f- phrase it in more of a, a comedic way. When did people start figuring out what a Kurd is? What kind of responses have people had when you say, I'm Kurdish? How, how do they say, like, <laughs> what is that? That type of thing.
1: Yeah, I almost wanted to laugh. I don't think most people know what a Kurd is when you like when they ask me less. Um It's very hard and sometimes it's, it is just not worth explaining anymore um but i have noticed uh, if people were in the military um they immediately know what a kurd is and have they just uh, like the uh, same
2: thing goes for chechens but it's for a different yeah. reason
1: yeah no there's a flood of compliments if if anybody knows who a kurd is it's just a flood of compliments about how we're <laughs> such great fighters <laughs> That's yeah. about it yeah it's all that
0: matters uh, to the military
1: Yeah. Well, the
2: the United States military has fucked the Kurds over so many times, too. Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, you could probably YouTube a video, top ten times the U.S. military fucked over the Kurds, (laughs) and you would probably get a top ten video on it. You probably would.
1: Yeah. Which is, like, ironic that they're telling me, um, oh, Kurds are great fighters, we love the Kurds. And I'm like, oh, thanks, I know exactly what you did. (laughs) But... There was one time I actually had a really, um, I went to the doctor's office, and the x-ray tech basically asked me, uh, like, oh, um, I saw your last name, and I just wanted to ask what you were, and I told him I was Kurdish, and it was, it was, this was the only time um, I've had this experience. Um, He basically told me that he went on a trip to Turkey, because obviously, uh, People who don't know the Middle East have this amazing view of Turkey. And mm-hmm. he's like, I yeah, well, was, they're, I was they're wanna... NATO
2: members, of course.
1: Yeah, NATO members. And he was like, well, um, my idea of uh, Turkey and Kurds changed so drastically when I went to Turkey. I actually got the opportunity to talk to a couple of Kurds. And he said my mind was completely blown. To... I have like nothing but the utmost respect for Kurds. And it really made me rethink about how I traveled and where I traveled to. So that was like maybe one of the only experiences I've ever had where it was a very nice heartwarming experience, uh, to have that conversation with somebody.
0: Do you advocate for, um, international recognition from like the UN, but like basically any country really?
1: Yes. Um. Like,
0: is that, is that a big part of it? Do you think that that would help at all?
1: I, I think so because I mean, we're the largest stateless group in the world, right? And most people in the U.S. Uh, have never heard what a Kurd is. Kurdistan, any regional issues. Of course, they know what Iraqis are, Turks, Iranians, Syrians, but they've never heard what a Kurd is. Um, I mean, it's I mean, a let, large group of people, you know. I mean, but let's, let's
0: be real. Most Americans probably couldn't find Melbourne on a map. So. True.
1: True. True. <laughs> so I mean,
0: it's a it,
2: it's most Americans it's can't a even can't even pick the states out if you don't label yeah. them. It...
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. but it's a different thing. It's that's different. It's a different thing of not recognizing where it is on the map, and, and not, not even recognizing at all. the name. Yeah, at mm. all. there's it's yeah. different, you know.
0: No, you you make a really good point. It is um it is a, a, a it's it's more concerning uh, because mm-hmm. it's clearly you know it's it's not uh, commonplace. You don't see. The the major news channels talking about Kurdistan, you might no. see they them, did for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you might you might see them mention um, they, Kurdistan. They
2: only mentioned them because of ISIS.
0: Yeah, because Basically. ISIS sends missiles or Actually, the IRGC.
1: I mean, it's true. Also, I forgot you just uh, reminded me. Most Americans, if they've heard of Kurds, the only recognition they have to it is ISIS, which is like. Mm. I mean, I'm glad that maybe we get the recognition for fighting ISIS, but, I mean, Kurds are beyond just fighters, you know?
0: I feel like there's a, a good PR move for the Kurdish people with the YPJ. I think that's- that's a, yeah. a good uh, oh, a PR. Term. There was a push to be like, hey, here's this all-female fighting force, right? I feel like that's something that would go over pretty well in the current climate. I feel like that would get it recognition It was going over well. Yeah. When
2: people, when people were cared about the conflict because ISIS was there.
1: Yeah, I mean, most of the time if they've heard of uh, Peshmerga, they know of YPJ, right? And mm. um, it's a good start point, but I don't like using that narrative because um, a lot of people use it as a point of, um, you know, as far as women rights in the Middle East and, you know, they say, oh, you know, the Middle East is so backwards. Except for the Kurds, we're so progressive, or so secular, or so whatever. I hate using that point, because they kind of use it against other Middle Easterners.
2: You're taking one part where women have been uplifted in like Mm -hmm. one small section, and you're applying it everywhere else. Lebanon's pretty great for women, too. Got a lot of problems with Iran, but... So do the Kurdish countries. They have plenty of problems too, you know? (laughs) And Jordan's pretty good. There's a lot of countries that are actually very progressive in the Mm -hmm. Middle East, besides Israel. Everybody
1: loves comparing the Kurds to Israelis. Yeah,
2: yes, I know, I know.
1: It is nice that the YPJ is getting some recognition. They do deserve more, actually. Mm -hmm.
0: So I I think the one issue, because when I I was doing a bit of research, I saw there was some uh, pushback from... uh, the Kurdish people specifically about the coverage of the YPJ because there was that that really really pretty girl that was heralded by the media for a while and it's no, like she was mm-hmm. underage yeah she, she was 17 killed. at the time I think and she ki- was killed at 18 and they're like yeah. oh this this girl's gorgeous it's like one she's 17 Two, you clearly don't understand what the YPJ is if you are uh, objectifying her. Commenting, yeah. <laughs> Right, they kind of radical feminists. I mean, it's like, there's like,
1: pick up guns at 14, you know? 13. Mm.
0: Even, even if that initial discussion is not, um, not a good outcome, it's a good jumping-off point to start discussing. The
2: yeah. There was this whole thing where they were given, like, different fighters' nicknames. Like, they're, it's like, Kurdish mm. Jolie, Kurdish Rihanna.
1: I mean, and... I think, if anything, women it's the easiest thing for men or media to objectify a woman first right before talking about Not sure anything she, she accomplishes. it's, it's
0: attention-grabbing right at the end of the day mm-hmm. the media is a business they're, they're after money they want clicks that's, yeah, they that's have an the agenda. Worst part. yeah exactly and that and that's the worst part is that you can't get past this with the media and you're always gonna going to find this because it's the easiest way to get clicks you know mm-hmm. um, Rebels in Middle East fight off Iran is not a headline that people are gonna click. But you say yeah. pretty female fighter from Middle East, right? People are gonna click the shit out of that. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's media psychology, but it's it, it's kinda hard to change because that's just the way the media is at the moment. YPJ
2: did actually use the fact that women were fighting for mm-hmm. propaganda, but it's a completely different way they were approaching it it already shows you that there's a right way to do it and if you just like took the example there's like all these like great pictures where they're like standing in formation with their rifles there's so many great things you could pick for these people the last thing that you should be doing when you're looking at people who are repelling a genocide is talking about how hot they are
0: yeah
1: yeah that's just how it is one of my favorite photos from ypg though is a. Uh... Female fighter breastfeeding her child. That's one of my. It was on my Twitter for a very long time. It's one of my favorite photos.
0: I don't think I've seen that one. That sounds.
2: Before we got in here, I was I was saying that there was a clown on my feed because he was buying into a lot of the Turkish propaganda. Have you really got into this with with uh, you know underage fighters? So we've already covered this before, but. Mm. It's just even even knowing about the conflict by proxy.
1: It kind of ties in well with the discussion you guys were talking about. Is are the leaders the problem um, as far as like Erdogan and stuff like that? I mean, if you replace Erdogan, just another one will show up. If you replace mm. Assad, it'll be another one. That, the issue is not not entirely the leaders. It's it's the way people already perceive us or perceive people within the Middle East. You know, time is time and history is a a whole different realm when it comes to the Middle East, right? Yeah,
2: I was just saying that it would be a very bad thing for people to drum up this secretary... Jack, you want to help me out? I can't pronounce the word. Secretarian?
0: (laughs) No, Sectarian. sectarian.
2: So, if they keep drumming that up and Assad goes down... And the Arabs take over the Alawite government. It would be mm-hmm. very, very tragic if that ended up being bad for the Kurds because of this propaganda,
1: yeah, I mean, just thinking about I don't know, just thinking about the government itself. it's the same thing in Iraq, like how would you talk about minorities in a region, right? Um, Saddam was a Sunni leader in a majority Shia region, and Assad is. And alawite in a majority sunni region it's just interesting how how these how these minority groups even the power play in these minority groups and how they even function you know and that kurds are like in these sectarian issues right when you talk about iraq it's sunni shia versus Kurds, or in syria it's alawite sunnis versus the kurds it's funny how like even though mm-hmm. These are sectarian issues, like religious sectarian issues. Kurds are somehow also combined into these.
2: Propaganda that just appeared on my feed that I was making fun of. You go look on the comments and this guy is hes against Assad, he defends the Syrian rebels, right? But yeah. him posting this thing, there's people with the Ayatollah as their profile picture, mm-hmm. liking his post. He, you can see that it's, it's an agenda that suits both sides. It, it's, for sure,
1: so, for sure. You pick and choose what suits you best, or what suits them best.
2: I wanted to talk about Kirkuk. How attached is your identity to that, and how did it feel seeing be abandoned by, you know, (sighs) your supposed leaders? Not technically yours, because, you know, you're... Yeah. But you know what I mean.
1: I mean, I'm still an Iraqi citizen, so...
2: Okay, so you got a dual citizenship?
1: Yeah. Um... (gasps) Kirkuk has a very, very special place in my heart. Uh, like, I'm very attached to the identity because it's a very interesting identity to have um, in northern Iraq. Like, you, it's a very mixed society, like, it's Arabs, Turkmen, and Kurds. Um, and you're constantly battling, you're constantly in this exchange between Iraq and Kurdistan, right? Um, and we have these, like, large. You know, my username is Baba Gurguri, which is a famous oil field in Kirkuk. Um, I have a huge attachment to it. The reason I have such an attachment to it is it's constantly, um, like, they, they also call uh, Kirkuk, like, the heart of Kurdistan, uh, Kirkuk and Ahmed, Diyabakar. Uh, just because how uh, constant it's, like, split in between these wars. Like, it's the epitome of the Kurdish struggle. So, it's an interesting uh, movie to have.
2: Speaking about oil fields, another thing that they falsely attribute to, they kind of put the apoist philosophy on all Kurds, even though it's a very diverse people, is the radical environmentalism as well. So mm-hmm. being in a city that's completely dependent on an oil economy, and how do they view green energy?
1: I mean, there are some people who are concerned with climate change, right? But I don't know if I'm the best person to speak on that, considering I have not been able to get inside my own house. <laughs> city for like 10 years (laughs) but I am going to be able to on this trip but I think people are more concerned with uh, the situation going on um, than being captured by Iraq and the oil fields and um, resources taken from them that they can't even think about how they feel about Mm. climate change, green energy Mm. and stuff like that
2: I guess that is kind of obvious now that I think about it Yeah, because I was just thinking because there's like a australia is a great example with the coal miners you know we have it here mm-hmm. in in america the west virginia coal miners and stuff learn to code yeah <laughs> and it's like the coal mines are killing them but they still love coal they love the coal industry because they're yeah. like i mean it's the, yeah it's that loyalty to the coal it's all industry. they've
0: ever known that's yeah. that's the other thing right
1: of course like Kirkuk, um, like we're famous for the oil right I think Babagurgur can produce like a thousand barrels a day or something like upwards of that. So people have a huge attachment, like they are the oil city. Um, But, you know, people understand they also don't want to be reliant on gas and people are now starting to think how bad it is for the environment. But, I mean, they don't even control the oil fields. So it's like, if you don't even control the city you live in, that's not even your your top priority at the moment.
2: So, other places, um, especially Holler, um, when Kirkuk was captured, it deeply affected their economy. People sometimes didn't get salaries. So since Kirkuk is technically in Iraq now, do mm-hmm. they face the same economic hardship?
1: In where? Kirkuk? In or? Kirkuk.
2: Yeah. Because you oh, still yes. have the oil money there. So
1: They still have the oil money, but... Um by corrupt leaders and they damage the oil field to the point where they can't produce any more oil. It's kind of hard, right? And Hawler they were having to ask Iraq for salary money. Um it got so bad that you know KRG claimed that they don't even have enough money to give salary to Howleris. So let alone Kirkukis um having to receive salary from Iraq because the KRG can't help them anymore it's a tough situation uh salary right now is a very very sensitive topic because last year uh might be inaccurate but i think it was like 40 to 60 percent of people's salaries were withheld, and they were forced to ask iraq to give salary um so it's a very sensitive topic about corruption right now with the krg um and how they feel like they have to be reliant now to the Iraqi government which mm. what's the point of having the KRG if we have to be reliant on Iraq's government to give us yeah, it's, money it's but, it's
0: dependency it's not, so, it's not so autonomous anymore is it
1: yeah it's not so autonomous but what can you mm. do like you're trying to fight for independency but at the same time you have to feed your children what comes more important to you at that point you know the um, fight for liberation or being able to live day to day
2: And that's what happens in Rojava. Mm. And that's why people have propaganda that they're on the side of Assad in Iran. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're not on the side. For some people, it's like, no, um, you know, they hate Iraq with a living passion. But what can they do if they need the money? Do you take money from the enemy and, you know, give into the salary and help them? Or do you, you know, stick with the liberation and kind of it's, it's no a pretty this, hard question but, which is which is yeah. why
0: i think um a centralized government making that decision is probably not the smartest idea but for sure no it's um as you said it's kind of it's kind of hard it's kind of a hard decision to make because mm-hmm. where are they going to be left they're going to yeah. be left in the middle of another fight or like what's what's the end result here if if they go well no. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna see people in their own movement rise up and then you've mm-hmm. also there's another element that has to be I guess quelled. Um yeah. it's also pretty interesting that uh Kurdistan is facing similar issues that the rest of the world is facing.
1: Of course. You'll
2: find out you'll find out most of the world's problems everyone is facing. Mm. And it's it unfortunate doesn't... that there's no alignment. So um, and one it's of the hard
1: things, to write, um, sorry, I you just I was, I was gonna say all I was gonna say oh. is
2: in the West it's hard to understand Kurdistan because they have this mm. liberty or death mindset, but they haven't done shit. You know? <laughs> so they cling to this mindset but they, they haven't been in that position and you know they would break under that. And that's all I just wanted <laughs> to say.
1: The Yan Kurdistan, Yan Naaman, Yan Give Me Kurdistan or Give Me Extinction. <laughs> it's hard for the Kurds. But it, it's hard too, right? Because it's um, it's uh, the conversation of government, right? And uh, nation states. It's um, like for Kurds. I, I It's hard for Kurds because you don't want to speak bad about your government because you don't want to give outsiders a reason to believe we don't want a government, right? That's a very good point. But it's something that
2: the, we haven't heard yet, so...
1: Yeah, it's like you don't want to give out... I hate talking about internal Kurdish conflicts mm-hmm. because it's, you don't want to give people like Iraqis uh, or Turks or, mm. you know, Iranians a reason to say, look, they can't even control themselves. Um, but at the same time... We people don't know that the way.
2: Taliban is split in half right now, so... Yeah. You know, it's going so, well yeah. for them.
1: As much as we don't agree with, you know, having a centralized government, you know, you need it to show... Um, to show, you know, Space. your neighboring states Yeah, that look We can create a stabilized government That's better for the individuals who live here uh, And I mean for,
2: Anarcho-Kurdistan, yeah. though how, how are we feeling about yeah. that?
0: And I mean, government. <laughs> Anarcho-Kurdistan
2: it
1: would, be, it would be beautiful In theory <laughs> Would it work? I don't know
2: it's Western anarchists are so cringe anyway But the, the thing that they don't realize Is that how quickly warlordism goes into effect Mm. and it's like you just can't overthrow the government and say do whatever it's like of course that's one of the things that happened in afghanistan when the soviets pulled out Mm. and it was like one of the worst places on earth when that happened it needs a it's it's a cultural shift i think it's it's more that which which... they don't understand it in the west I, i don't think because they have this liberty or death mindset and they don't actually understand things like the anarchist community in the west on twitter broke down talking about medicine supply chains and, like, meanwhile, I know exactly how EZLN gets medicine in and out of their autonomous zone. Like, I know exactly how it works. And you look at the native reservations that are going to be disappearing soon, and they're allowed to exist on the U.S. dollar, and they can use our roads. So, you know, there's all these different things inside autonomy that's better to seek than just mm-hmm. uh, warlordism.
0: It's a hard subject to talk about autonomy because it's it's something that is isn't really successful because there's always some dickhead who tries to take ultimate control. and Yeah, when it, it the Supreme just,
2: Court overturns your autonomy. yeah,
0: It just, it's, it ultimately spirals into, uh, the same thing that always happens. So it's, it's almost, it almost needs a cultural shift completely. And I think Kurdistan mm-hmm. has that culture to be able to do it, but it, they're just in such a shit position that it's, it's, um, not necessarily fa- uh, falling to the same issues, but facing yeah. separate issues that we are not familiar with at all. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that us, and this is why we wanted to talk to people specifically from Kurdistan because, you know, there's only so much information that you can get from people in, in the West who don't actually cool. know, right? Cool. Like, and this is why I'm not making any assertions. I'm asking questions because I'm curious, right? I'm, I'm curious uh-huh. because these are, these are questions that I want answered and that I feel like I'm not going to get appropriate answers from uh, mm. if I ask anyone in a Western country. Even, even if uh, they're a quote-unquote expert in the in the subject, I, it's your, your word means nothing. I'd rather talk to someone who lives there, you know.
1: <laughs> I mean? Yeah, it's just autonomy is such a hard topic in, in Chrisan, um to debate and like you said, it's like some people just will never understand because we're obviously a group but when you live in four separate countries and these countries design for you to hate each other, there's no unition to even create like a common liberation movement for autonomy right? And then if the UN doesn't want to recognize you or if these bigger states don't want to ally with you in fear of these countries that are occupying your region, how do you even get to that conversation through international law means or through you know actual war uh, to liberate these regions? like, the sweep in the early 90s for, like, semi-autonomy in northern Iraq is as far as it got, right? But Barzan, um, Barzani clan, uh, they don't even want to liberate Kurdistan. They just want to liberate Badini people of Barzan.
2: Yeah, he wants to he's the referendum is a total piece of sh- piece of shit, fake thing like oh, he's he's just trying to get right, his own cook. power. He's trying to put mm. Kurdistan underneath him. Fuck the, you know, the referendum isn't real, you know. And, then and it's unfortunate. Can
1: cook right after it.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I I wanted to talk about Just the- the anarchist identity in Kurdistan, but before- Mm -hmm. before that, I wanted to touch on things where you'll see travel YouTubers go to Kurdistan and it's always Kurds blowing up on them because they're like, I went to Iraq! And they never go down (laughs) into Iraq at all, it's just Kurdistan, and they're like, it's so nice here!
1: Are you, like, adding yes theory and stuff like that?
2: How do, how do you feel about that type of thing going on? I mean on? it's
1: so it's so annoying when people are like I traveled to Iraq for 7 days and you won't believe how safe it is and how nice people are. First of all, when it, I hate when people are like I'm going to show sure you Iraq and it's Sleimani. It's like it, it you ugh. It's so annoying because I mean Kurds live there, right? It's Kurdistan. But they don't want to admit it. I don't know. If, I think because the Iraq like the no safe Iraq is just like a like a louder hit to the like you know on the statement when you like Mm -hmm. oh my god what is the title like title but that
2: it's like I'll see one it always gets represented to me and it's like this blonde guy and he's got a scarf and he's like on his knees with his arms out and there's like light coming in behind him and uh, gold letters across the top says Iraq and it's like I traveled to Iraq, and then in like <laughs> colons, he had to add Kurdistan because he was getting dragged Iraqi so Kurdistan. hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, he had to go back. He had to go back and change it to Iraqi Kurdistan. Yeah,
2: but it doesn't matter. He oh still does not say it in the video. It was like, "Fuck you, pal."
1: Fuck you. But there's that
2: <sighs> one ginger guy. He was actually—I haven't watched it yet—but um, when when the the he went down with the Taliban, and they were very accommodating to him. And like he was open about his Christianity, but it's that one ginger guy. He did a pretty good video, I think his name's Drew something. He did a good video in Kurdistan. And it was he it opens with them talking about how they're the largest ethnic group without a country talks about he even gets into the flag. Like, so I've seen some good stuff on it. But these travel YouTubers, it's it's like genocide tourism because they'll go to Yemen and stuff like that. It's fucked up, dude. You're generating money from people's tragedy.
1: I mean, it's hard to um, like it's same thing goes with like Turkish shows, right? When they shoot shows in Mardin and they're like, look how beautiful Turkish palaces are. It's like that's a Kurdish castle in a Kurdish city (laughs) that's been occupied by Turkey. Like if it's not like you said, if it's not genocide, like flat out genocide, it's it's erasing culture, it's erasing identity, which they've done in books. and and language and now like with with traveling which is the worst right like you at least you want to be known like in this world money buys everything so if like you can get monetization and like media coverage uh through these people like through these travelers you're not getting it through there which is like probably like one of the best ways if you can get media coverage or if you can get the public to understand
2: the anarchist identity in in Kurdistan I wouldn't be an anarchist if it wasn't for Kurdistan and Lebanon so I, I wanted to talk oh. about how common that identity is and and what the what would you define their general ideology you know you know how we've been talking about not um, not applying ideology to an entire group we're gonna apply ideology to an entire group just to get a baseline here
1: <laughs> oh well I wish I could speak for like Iranian Kurds and Turkish Kurds because I think uh, Turkish Kurds have a way, way different perspective than, like, Iraqi Kurds do or, like, Syrian Kurds, right? Um, the new generation of (laughs) Iraqi Kurdistan is a little messed up when it comes to how we view ourselves and, like, what we see for a country, government, no government, government, um, I think the sad part, the really sad part is uh, what I've noticed is people are so hopeless, like so incredibly hopeless that um it's hard for them to I mean, this is from my experience. This is from uh like well, yeah, I've two other people's yeah.
2: experiences as well. Mm.
1: Yeah, but... yeah. So I I don't know how other people have viewed it, but the way I've I've tried to Exactly, ask... exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've I've tried to ask uh people's perspective because Uh, For me, it's really important to understand, like, how do you view, you know, the future of of becoming a country and people are just so hopeless. They don't even want to define if they want to be an anarchist. Do they believe in regional government? What do they believe in? It's really sad. I mean, in some cases, people believe like maybe anarchy may like, you know, for them, there is a justification in getting a government. Right. It's to show these neighboring countries. Um, that we deserve autonomy in a nation-state, right? And a government will help do that. And then in other situations, people believe they don't even care about the, the future state of Kurdistan because they're hopeless. Like, it's non-existent. It will never happen. So might as well get out while you can and leave it the way it is. I don't know if that really answered the question. No, yeah, but... absolutely.
0: The opinions of the other two were exactly that—hopelessness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is really, yeah. it's really disappointing. But nihilism is very hot right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm against ask, nihilism. If, you
1: have, <laughs> if you've asked, the, if you've asked the perspective of our parents, it'd be completely different, mm. right? People joined Peshmerga. Like uh, my parents' per- perspective, people joined Peshmerga for free. It wasn't a salary base. You you go there for free. You fight because you really believed in the liberation of your country. No matter how... I mean, I've had family members who were, you know, got sent hits, you know, like Saddam would send hits out for my family members. They would be tortured, raped, whatever, and they would never go against their their idea of uh, free Kurdistan.
0: It's a turning point, I think. I think that there there was a turning point before, and I think it could be approaching another turning point, um, whether I that's that, towards yeah. a, a less optimistic, or mm-hmm. that's towards the other way. Time will tell, but...
2: Syria and Iran, mm-hmm. their governments might completely fall, right? Yeah. Iraq is kind of in turmoil, but at least they're kind of on their own, the Americans are out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Iran going down will help there a lot too, but then Saudi will have more control. Whatever. But the point is, Mm -hmm. is that around you, people getting freedom can only benefit you. So that's why it's important. And I try to get through to a lot of Syrians because it's very hard for them because Turkey seems like the only one helping them. Now I have the perfect thing to say is that it's like, it's just them trying to rebuild the Ottoman empire. But it's it's hard for me to get through I mean, to them to let them know that it's you, like if you support their freedom, it helps your freedom.
1: If you come here, like kids don't even speak Kurdish; they are like willingly speaking Turkish or English. It's like they don't even want to learn Kurdish.
2: That's why in Ireland, learning Irish, learning Gaelic, I should say, is uh, it's mandatory. Most people don't yeah. really know how to speak it; they can say a few words, but it's mandatory to learn it in school. And it's That's specifically true. not because there are some places where they completely speak it, but the main language of Ireland is English, mm-hmm. but the whole reason for that is that the language is preservation of culture and identity, mm-hmm. and they don't want that language to disappear.
1: And that goes back to like, uh, let's say like my, my dad's generation, where my, my grandpa would force my dad to sit down and, and speak Kurdish with him in the house, because it was illegal to speak it outside, right? So, to preserve the language. But my dad's generation was very fearful of pushing that onto their kids. Same thing with Iranian Kurds. They're terrified of pushing that language to their kids. Um, Like, for what reason? I don't, like, you know, for fear. It, It makes sense. But then now this generation, my generation, being Kurdish isn't cool. You know, Turkey did a great job with the propaganda um, and saying, you know, Turkish is a cool language to learn. Speak Turkish.
2: Do you know Turkish?
1: Me? No, unfortunately, I do not. Good my job. Dad speaks... Good for you. My dad speaks... <laughs> yeah, my... No, 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 no. Actually, the only... Okay, okay. the reason I said, it, unfortunately, I do not is because... This is one reason. Okay, when I went to university, there was, like, this huge influx of international Turkish students. And, like, on my... I want, like, the only reason I want to speak Turkish is to bother them, like, is to say something to them. Like, that's the only (laughs) reason I would ever, like, my dad speaks perf- like, fluent Turkish and Turkmen, and it is just so fun watching my dad like completely annihilate like turks with whatever he's saying like just pop off on them and like that's the only reason i would want to learn the language is just like just to have that pure satisfaction of bothering them like it just it just brings me pure like joy to be a troll to turks like that is (laughs) like, like that i have such pure joy in that and i can't even be a troll like it's not as fun english yeah
2: still, like, a rivalry between Ireland and England, and it's more of, Mm -hmm. ironically, we joke about it. It's like, those times are over, we don't really care about the past, time will come. Like, there's no going back from the point that we achieved.
1: But that's how the West views time, right? Like, you're able to, like, now the US and England are, like, great allies with each other, which is, like, how, you know? If you think about it, in the sense of Middle East, like the way we view time,
2: you know, if what I was... was cr- cr- I mean, Sadat and Israel was crazy.
1: Yeah, Sadat and Israel. Well, I mean, he got. All right, what is
2: it, Sadat it. and Begum? I should say.
1: But he got assassinated for it. You yeah, know? I know. Uh, it's one. It's time.
2: I almost said it's one of my favorite points in history, but I meant to say it's like I like to read about that point in history.
1: Yeah, people were very upset. Time doesn't work the same way in the Middle East. Like they. You know, one thing we're very good about is holding a grudge. I don't care how far away. I don't even care if it was 1,500. Yeah. Uh, they don't let feuds go. And that's the problem. 100%. I don't know if that's, that you could take that as a good or bad thing in the Middle East, but they don't let feuds go. And the huge reason why countries won't progress or i mean it's still ongoing how are you supposed to progress with a country who's still doing this i think
2: that's purposely intentional and this is something that i've learned getting in touch with my own culture is that Mm -hmm. that is the first weapon of imperialism and so even in america look at the polarization we have between like political parties
1: isn't that what like deems your political views one is like what your family's beliefs are, like, you're very influenced by your parents, and then two is, like, the sur- your surroundings.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not influenced by my parents at all, so... Mm, neither am I, my dad's a uh, a union boss, or was. Oh, uh, I
1: don't know, my parents are... <laughs> <laughs> oh what my god, use? my parents are so liberal.
2: <laughs> I love this story my mom told me. My dad voted for Carter, and his dad called him a communist for voting for <laughs> Carter. <laughs> so it's so there was at one point where he was voting democrat and things like that but it doesn't matter because we live in new york so it it, it doesn't bother me it's Uh, like it's like their their opinions don't matter if they're in a blue state your opinion just doesn't matter if you want to engage in the culture war and be angry in your own house watching the tv dad go ahead you know
1: i don't know if new york's the same as california only three cities are blue, and those three cities make the blue of the city. There's, it's
2: like, so there's a line going across the, it's, uh, so the Erie Canal, basically, it's uh, how we uh, depopulated the people of the Longhouse, is we used the Erie Canal, because it, it connected the Great Lakes to New York City. So it's a, basically it was a highway going straight through the state. So all the cities Mm -hmm. developed along that line. So there's literally a blue line going through the state and then there's some rural populations where they'll be mixed. But New York City is unstoppable. It doesn't matter. So a lot of people want New York City to be its own thing. And that's the thing is it's like for New Yorkers to have more autonomy, New York City needs to be its own state.
0: Hmm. New York City autonomous zone.
2: Yeah, California should also be split in <laughs> two. Texas
0: should be split in three. But
2: nothing's gonna happen in this country.
1: I mean, so Texas, like Texas eighth...
0: will secede before anything happens.
1: <laughs> Haven't they tried and failed like no, uh, a times? California? No, I
0: don't think so. Um, just so not like just the racists. Tried. Just well, the well, racists. They, what are they gonna, gonna, gonna be Mexican? You they... know, like. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like
0: um, well, talking about this, there was that proposed state of Jefferson, which was nor- uh Northern California, parts of uh, um, Oregon, merging with what's what's the the irrelevant state next to Oregon? Uh, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, they wanted to um, they wanted to expand into Idaho and make a greater Idaho, which is kind of interesting. And then there was another one with... Montana to take... as well.
2: Montana. It's
0: yeah. like... So the Northwest is very interesting because there's a split
2: between white supremacists and immigrants because it's on yeah. a coastline. Art so you see vertices. that right in Seattle and Portland? <laughs> there, It's like that... Co- it's the coastline where you have people who are immigrated and progressive. And then, like, yeah. when slavery ended in the South... And there is more integration among the races. There were so many racists who went up to the northwest and tried to start an all white state and things like that. So Oregon there's... is literally oh, meant cool.
0: to be an all white state. Like that's a thing. <laughs>
2: <Not> <laughs> Oregon, slowly. Oregon's wild. That's why Portland is so <laughs> crazy. That's why the yeah.
0: protest gets so crazy because the
2: cops literally are from one side of the spectrum where they're descending from these people who like you said, you do get influenced by your parents and those things around you the libertarians love to talk about ruby ridge and it's like it was totally like a a white supremacist type thing where they wanted to get out of this culture and they Mm -hmm. overstepped
0: and shot a bunch of people shooting people no that never happens
2: well it doesn't happen that much in america at least not to whites
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) although we might see an increase of it with uh those new border rules Now that there's, uh, they can just breach the Fourth Amendment and go into people's houses within a hundred kilometers of the borders and airports, so that's cool. Um, happy for Americans there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said earlier. And and Biden's talking about fucking right of privacy? Get fucked. (laughs) I was talking
2: about earlier that, uh, giving other people freedom only increases your own. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic that the people cheering on what is happening right now are the so-called freedom defenders. I've
0: seen a bunch well, of anarchist th- Twitter going off about um, uh, anarchists defending gun laws and the state and police and abortion laws and all this stuff. It's like...
2: I hate Western anarchists <sighs> so much, man.
1: <laughs> I was going to say about the freedom thing, like giving people more freedom helps your own, but in the U.S. is in a, a little flip. It's like, in high school, I remember learning that your freedom starts- or your freedom ends when another person's freedom starts. No,
2: that's
0: so yeah, that's works. because the US is wrong.
1: The US <laughs> that, is no, wrong. I'm saying, I'm saying- I'm saying- I'm saying that's the way, um, the US <laughs> that's the
0: way Yeah, yeah, way that's because they're wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, I grew wrong.
2: It. <laughs> They don't- Yeah. They- They think Ayn Rand- is unironically based.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: I was- uh, I was talking to, uh, he's a- uh, he's a dentist in Afghanistan. He's a really nice guy. And, uh, huh. So he 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 said he's just he's very against liberalism as a lot of people are in societies and he said something about liberalism and I commented something about like yeah man haven't you read Ayn Rand I haven't because I have a life to live <laughs> and he didn't know who she was and I was like so overjoyed to <laughs> tell him about Ayn Rand and like how awful it is. So Marco Rubio has a boat named the Fountainhead.
0: Seriously? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> every, every, like, unwillingly, I always find out information about Mark Rubio that, like, I just was unwilling information. Like, every day. <laughs> like, every day I I don't even know where he is. What will. state
0: is he? What state He's is he? He's Texas senator, is he not?
1: Texas. No. I think.
0: Oh, my cats are about to start fighting.
2: Oh, that's fine. We're about done here. We just yeah, want to yeah, wrap with our...
0: Cool. We're talking shit.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, wrap with our little uh, question about Kurdish identity and yes, what we see. yeah. see.
1: Yes. You know, a very interesting perspective is actually, though, uh, that if you guys can find it, uh, that would be fun. Because most Kurds, most diaspora Kurds are in, in Europe, right? There's not that much in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, I'm in California, but most Kurds, if they go to the U.S., Little Kurdistan, Nashville, Tennessee and, like, Texas and stuff like that. Coming from a Kurdish identity... Nashville, yeah, Tennessee.
2: That's cool. Nashville, I'm Tennessee
1: is, is Little Kurdistan. It's called Little Kurdistan. Um, so, Kurdish society is, like, my parents are very open-minded. Like, most of them are, you know, in, in U.S. terms, democratic, liberal people. So, combining, like, a Kurdish identity with, like, being raised, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee with a huge Kurdish Community, I mean that would be an interesting perspective that oh, I can't give okay. to you. Sorry, guys.
0: <laughs> that would be very interesting. I wish I knew that when I was in Tennessee. That would have been interesting.
2: But oh, what about, yeah, there's a huge. What about you personally? How do you? Th- what do you think being Kurdish means to you? What is the identity to you?
1: What is? I mean, I'm like. Have you guys ever seen those memes where it's like uh, a Palestinian can't go two seconds without telling them, like telling you they're from Palestine?
0: It's like a vegan. Like, yeah, have vegans. you seen those yeah. memes
1: or like vegans or whatever? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. that. I, 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 am like, <laughs> like three fourths of my personality is Kurdistan, and the other one fourth is like something else that has to do with Kurdistan. Uh, like the Kurdish identity means a lot to me.
2: <laughs> do you think you embrace it more because you're technically diaspora?
1: Yeah, you know, funny enough, like the weirdest people tried to take that that identity away from me. Like the oh, you're not American enough, you're not Kurdish enough. I never really felt that. My family isn't like that, but like very funny enough, like like weird like side like in laws or like weird random people that I've never met in my life who like like their feelings and and ideas mean nothing to me. They'll be like, why do you have a Kurdish identity? You're American. So, I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, that is very strange. Well, th- that that sort of leads me to a follow-up question because we mm-hmm. obviously, with the other two, we couldn't do ask this question specifically. Mm-hmm. But how much uh, of America do you uh, incorporate into your um, identity mm-hmm. existence?
1: I, I can't say, like, oh, I'm completely... Obviously, I grew up in the West, right? So I can't say, oh, I have no... Western culture enemy. me, of course I do. You know, um, but I think for me, and this isn't—I mean, I—it's funny because if you grew up like where, where there was there was, a, there was a small population of Kurds and Iraqis, and they really much so try to immerse themselves into American culture, trying to get away from their you know Middle Eastern identity. And it probably me, didn't help
2: at the time that there was a lot of Middle Eastern racism
1: it didn't help at all um you know like for me like getting hate-crimed or um you know being threatened at school by teachers to get withheld from classes or grades or having racist teachers like there was like a a fear installed in you to have this american mindset but i don't know assimilation you felt you felt like
2: forced assimilation
1: yeah. So so, ever... so literally
2: you're experiencing, you're actually experiencing the same thing everyone else is.
1: Yeah. Your basically. culture is being
2: erased in the same way.
1: Basically. Essentially, like trying to, because my, my mom didn't speak English. Um, so, you know, scaring my mom um, and dad telling them, you know, your daughter is going to get withheld from school if you don't stop speaking Kurdish to her. it's a a similar tactic you know but in a different way different which is funny because my dad is like so funny my dad is like lava if anybody hits you at school you punch them 10 times harder i don't even he's like if you don't come back with like (laughs) expulsion papers in your hand like you're not my daughter anymore so um i think uh you know a simulation can like really push that like Fight or flight for me, it, it was yeah, a very
2: they, much hopeful. You had the melting pot of America, you know? Yeah. What's the, It's so uh, it's like there's a big difference between melting and assimilation. And also, you said San Diego, right?
1: Yes.
2: So there's a lot of uh, Latinos there as well. Uh, so, yeah. In San so, is there, is there, as do you see? Here's a racy question again, but do you do you see kind of uh, the same thing where they talk to the Latinos saying you can't speak Spanish?
1: Okay, this is gonna be really funny, but I grew up in a Spanish emergency school, so like from like preschool to third grade, I just so spoke Spanish at school um, until they shut down that school for lack of funding and then I got emerged into what I was talking about that very racist environment. Mm-hmm um so it depends like if san diego is only depending on where you are like chula vista and san ysidro they're only a couple minutes away from the border some people don't they majority of that city doesn't even speak english or like mm-hmm. there's a lack of english so it depends what city you live in if you so that's, a,
2: so that's what's so bizarre to me is specifically yeah. because you're in san diego because san diego is
1: also a navy-based city right so if you ooh. live in like clan t they literally it's like kkk members still live there if you lived in El Cajon, which, which is such El Cajon a wild is now. fucking country. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> like, you could literally live in the same fi- city or like county, and then city to city is so drastic.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I have a follow up yeah. question. Oh, yeah. Despite alcohol. all that assimilation and racism and uh, that sort of stuff, do you still speak Kurdish in the home?
1: Yes. I still mm-hmm. speak Kurdish at home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um...
0: so realistically, like it's a, it's an external pressure, but in, at the end of the day, you guys are still speaking Kurdish.
1: I mean, it was a push and pull with my father. Uh, so scared that we would lose jobs or lose friends or have not have. How much are the issues
2: in Kurdistan right now, where they assimilate to Iraq and Iran?
1: I mean I wouldn't say Iraq there is a huge assimil uh there's a transfer assimilation because northern Iraq is pretty separated from southern uh, yeah, Iraq Yeah, at this point. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty disconnected since the early 90s we've had uh, the sense of autonomy. Not like actual autonomy but this feeling of it. It wasn't until recently a lot of like central and southern Iraqis are starting to move into northern Iraq. But I would say uh Turkey and Iran and Syria are like very vulnerable to to getting assimilated mm-hmm. it's not the same like here in northern iraq it, like we have the right to speak kurdish right like our schools are taught in kurdish people speak kurdish you're surrounded by kurds you're allowed to say you're a kurd right because there's not like you're disconnected from from the rest of iraq but it's not the same where you're immersed and simulated into the culture like turkey or whatnot so I would say not that much.
0: Interesting.
2: Okay. You know what? I can't, I remembered what I have been yeah. forgetting to ask because mm. we got into it. We got into it right before we I jumped on. and had to go live. Uh, the PKK. Mm.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I was gonna say about my perspective uh, before you ask about the PKK. Uh, my dad. Maybe not outing my dad, but the reason we moved back and forth <laughs> is a lot of a lot of Kurds were offered jobs during the Iraq War to be. <laughs> translators and cultural advisors so it's a very interesting experience to have uh, when you're in between that
2: as far as the pkk goes, you're asking me Mm -hmm. because i said i said i don't support them because i don't support any group Mm -hmm. were you confrontational when you were like why don't you support them or
1: yeah okay okay i was very scared that you guys were gonna think i was coming off as confrontational when i was like Mm -hmm. why don't you support the pkk i really (laughs) could care less like i just it was just out of curiosity it's different coming from you than from like from you guys like you two and then like somebody else saying like i don't support pkk Mm -hmm. um and then like throwing up a gray wolf sign then it's like oh you don't support the
2: pkk this that's this this right here so i call this the the, we call this the turkish fascist salute but it's also if you've ever watched wrestling there was a wrestling stable called the wolf pack where they would do this hand signal (laughs) So, so, thankfully, Americans don't- it hasn't integrated into America, they don't understand what that signal means.
1: I- imagine being, like, such, like, a puny little, like, fascist group, like, that's your symbol for fascism, is, like, this, like, little woof sound, like, this little woof!
2: Bork, bork! (laughs) We're gonna get banned for Nazi symbolism now.